my name is Gabriela Bermea. I'm an associate and design architect with VLK Architects, I'm being fortunate to serve uh, nationally, regionally, and locally on different AI-affiliated boards. And you are watching A Student's Perspective. Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to A Student's Perspective the weekly series that connects students with designers, manufacturers, educators, industry professionals, and design media celebrities to hear their stories on just how they've gotten to where they are now. Through our conversations, we connect the past, present, and future of design to show just how much we can learn from each other to grow towards our fullest potential without prescribed limitations. Think of a student's perspective as a weekly design lecture series from the student's point of view. A Student's Perspective is a division of the nonprofit University Hall of Innovation, whose goals are to connect students with the design industry through design challenges and mentorship, and a collaboration with the Marywood University Interior Architecture Program in Scranton, Pennsylvania. All interviews can be found in their video format at www.astudentsperspective.tv. For more information or sponsorship inquiries, please contact University Hall of Innovation at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for this week's episode of A Student Perspective. We're here with Gabriela Bermea. She's a design architect with a passion for philanthropy, education, and advocacy. And I was wondering if you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. So, um... Please call me Gabby. I am a uh, Texas native. I grew up in on the border uh, in Eagle Pass, Texas, and then um, went to university at the University of Arkansas, um, where I met my husband and we moved to Austin. And um, thankfully, my family had made the transition here already. So I, uh, in my university years, I was able to intern um, with a really incredible K through 12 firm, a firm that specializes in education. And it sparked my love for not only volunteering, but for giving back. Being the daughter of a public educator, I I knew I wasn't meant for the classroom, but seeing how uh, my talents could personally impact the classroom space and the advocacy space by working in schools uh, seemed like a no-brainer for me. I was a part of that firm for about four years, and then in 2020, I made the transition over to VLK Architects, um, which is a K-12 commercial and automotive firm. And I have just had the great opportunity to see um, not only opportunity, but um, really a strength in how we support our clients, our K through 12 clients, not only in the classroom, but again, through advocacy efforts um, with the state capitol, which has just been awesome, which goes to where I am located now. My home base is in Austin, but I do have the privilege of working with clients all over the state of Texas. Um, and in turn, it has opened a, a broad range of volunteer opportunities for me, both through the American Institute of Architects, through NOMA, and through NCARB. Yeah, I think that's so awesome how you felt that call to for to serve for your community and not necessarily through being in the classroom, but through architecture, which I think is right. awesome. Um, could you talk a little bit about how you use uh, educational architecture, like designing schools and such, and how that empowers students? Yeah, absolutely. So what's really um, critical to think about is schools are generational. They have a generational impact that can go from the grandparent to their, to their, you know, their grandchild and beyond. Um, we're designing facilities that will last and sometimes outlive ourselves with high schools that go beyond 100 years, right? 
um, what has been fantastic about that is we spend a majority of our day, we as humans, as a society, spend a majority of our day inside, inside of buildings. Um, in being a being a teacher's kid, I had hours after school and before school that I would spend in my mom's classroom and was challenged with thinking, is this like, how can we make these spaces better? And in practicing educational architecture, we truly have the opportunity, not only through our, our people-focused design process, but in our early on planning stages when we're working with the district to really identify how will you be teaching in these spaces? So I work I work as a design architect, but I work alongside an educational planner, um, Sarah Kaprowski. She's fantastic. Um, she is a past assistant superintendent. She was one of our clients previously, came on board with us, and she is this conduit really between uh, what the educators need in their space. We call her the translator, right? Between what educators are actually teaching in curriculum and instruction, and then how spaces can facilitate in that. And having to see that really early on in my career has just been been mind-blowing. It's been a game changer for me because truly we're thinking beyond just the aesthetics of a space and the beauty of having daylight and having visibility out and safety and security elements. We're talking about how the space will actually be taught in and thinking critically and intentionally on everything from group learning spaces to the classroom to open collaboration between a cafeteria and a library, really forward-thinking things um, from, from the pre-K all the way to the 12 level and beyond. That's so awesome. And I love, like, not enough people realize, I think, how much the built environment impacts them. And, like, my mom and my grandma both were teachers. So, yes. and teachers, so I was in the classroom a lot growing up, too. And, yeah, it's just something to think about, like, how that can have such a positive impact on students. And this is um, something that I've been talking about a lot. This is something I have been talking about a lot with people who've come on the podcast. And since this is the last episode, I was hoping to get your perspective on just empathy and like how we can be more empathetic and understand our audience for who we're building for. Absolutely. I think you bring up a really, really strong point. Um, that's another part of, of my platform is, is talking about equity, diversity and inclusion within architecture, within the field. Um, when we're talking about empathetic spaces, I think sometimes we need to go beyond just asking the question, but having architects who are representative of the community, who have grown up in the community, who speak the language, who understand the um, understand the community's roots and wants, you are building a trust there. Um, and in seeing, working in districts, I, I had the great privilege of working with San Antonio ISD as one of my uh, first clients with VLK. And I walk into a classroom, I walk into our launch process is our community driven schematic design process. And you have students who come up to you and say, oh my gosh, you look like, you look like me. <laughs> you're speaking, you're speaking Spanish just like me. And um, it's one of those things that like architecture is a really, really tough and demanding field. But when we're in rooms where we can hear from students who say, I can see a future because you are here and because you are present. Um, it's, it's something that changes, that changes your, um, trajectory and makes you feel affirmed to be in the space that you are and only continues further K through 12 efforts and advocacy efforts. So I think I, it was a long winded way of saying, yes, I think we can be very empathetic to the spaces we design by listening to our clients and being visible and truly building a trust with them, building a trust with not only client, but the community at large. 
Definitely. So interesting. I think that also ties in really well to, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how you're the rep for the diversity, equity, and inclusion for the Texas Society of Architects yes. and the Association for uh, Learning Environments as a Southern Region Chair. So I was hoping you could share a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. So um, I have served on our EDI, our Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee with the Texas Society of Architects. We have statewide committees. I served uh, on the committee starting in 2020 and then through 21. Um, and last year I was co-chair and this year, um, last year I was co-chair with Brian Graham, who's actually at LPA, also an educational firm in Dallas. And then um, this past year, I've been able to serve as chair What's been fantastic about it is really the facilitation piece. So this last year, we not only, uh, uh, we are the advisory board to our executive board, right? The, our EDI committee. So intentionally we look at member statistics, we look at our board statistics and are asking ourselves truly, what are the numbers? What has, what has history told us on where our board is and where we can do better, where our gaps are and comparing that to the Texas overall population at large. And in doing that, uh, we have a number of incredible committee members who have different uh, focus items and different platforms that they really want to pursue. And this past April, um, one of which are we have two disability advocates, among many other things, many other things that they are and that they uh, have accomplished and contribute to, but Richard Sternadori and Ricardo Leon, both uh, associate AIA they were passionate about creating an equity for all series with practice innovation for accessible design. They created this fantastic panel of panelists well-renowned from all over the US and we had over 500 attendees call into our webinar to receive that credit and, and understand really what implicit bias was and how it affects the accessibility realm. So in our EDI committee, we have the opportunity to impact at different realms like that. And then in the past, we've also presented at conferences with everything from EDI workshops to how EDI plugs in with affiliations like ACE Mentor Program of Boston. The JEDI role and the Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion is with a different organization that's with Association for Learning Environments that I also am very affiliated with and think very highly of. We, um, I had originally started that in Central Texas, um, getting called up by someone, <laughs> very, very, very incredible architect. Her name is Sita. She works at HKS. And she uh, said, Gabby, I know you're plugged in at the state level. Help us here, help us here at the local chapter and see what we can do. So in that, um, I'm very program driven, right? So if, if I'm gonna talk about equity, diversity, inclusion, we're gonna see numbers or we're gonna see presentations and panels. So we had the chief equity officer with Austin ISD at the time come speak with our membership on building the table, which essentially said, um, not only do we have to bring voices to the table, we have to allow those voices to be a part in building the process, which has been this large overarching theme um, that I've been able to see through both A4LE and AIA that they are open to those, um, to these ideas and to um, this feedback, this open loop feedback, right? From Central Texas, I moved on to uh, the Southern Region Board where I had the opportunity to serve Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and in that, uh, we talk about conference activities when it comes to justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And I had the opportunity to attend um, to attend Learningscapes in Denver as a scholarship recipient for the Otto D. Grove Scholarship. It, it offset the cost to be able to be in the rooms to talk with our national uh, Jedi representative, Ross Parker. I served in that role for a year and then have passed it on now to another incredible VLK or Nasario Areguin, where he is serving in that. And then I serve as the school's next chair. 
which has very much of the same EDI elements plugged in. It is uh, developing students to build the school of the future. So I empower our local chapters to be able to have the resources and the things they need to help that be accomplished. And it's an after-school program, very much like ACE, but it's targeted at middle school as students as young as middle school. So that's been fantastic. And this year we had two teams out of the Southern region and we have one that will be going to national out in, uh, out in Spring Branch ISD down in Houston. Sorry, it was really long-winded. <laughs> I'm like, you're such an inspiration for all these kids growing up, too. Like, that's so important that they have role models to look up to. It's awesome. Thank you. And it goes beyond just me. I get the chance to work with some really incredible people that um, also are just inspiring and push us all to do better. And, Gabriella, I'm excited to see what you do, too. You are you're in and just seeing all these wonderful things. I'm excited for you. Thank you. Um, and also, you did mention accessibility in architecture. Yeah. I was wondering if you could touch a little bit more on that. What does that look like? Of course, of course. I think it really comes from thinking beyond beyond accessible design, but into inclusive design, into equitable design. The ongoing um, conversations that our panelists left us with is why are we hitting the minimums? Texas does a fantastic job with the Texas accessibility standards that we have that are, are very um, they keep us accountable. They keep architects accountable and, and designers and builders. But in that, why do we design to the minimum? How are we truly thinking about everybody, everybody in the sense of, of our physical person? Not only that, but when we bring in mental health and well-being into the conversation as well, we're talking um, differences in ceiling heights for students with special needs. We visited an exceptional project um, out in Austin, the Rosedale School done by Paige, and they really took into account how it's a special needs school, it's a school for students with disabilities, how even a transition in ceiling, um, not only material, but in ceiling height. So you walk into a gymnasium from a hallway and you need, uh, the students needed a transition before entering this very large, you know, gymnasium can go anywhere from 25 to 30 feet, as opposed to a corridor, which may be 14 providing gradual slopes, providing tactile surfaces along the wall. It's just, a, it's, a, it's a fantastic way to move forward in design, to think about it intentionally and holistically. Definitely, that's awesome. Yeah, and I also just want to ask, since there's so many avenues of architecture to go into, since we're talking about schools specifically, could you describe a little bit like the process in designing a, an educational establishment like uh, do kids ever say and like what their school might look like is that of or is it always, like I would just love to learn more about how this works. So this is where I geek out because uh, it's a big part of what brought me to VLK. So we have this incredible um, UC schematic design charrettes, but this takes it to a next level. Our VLK launch process, and at the gist of it, we're you had the chance to engage with communities, right? You, especially coming out of COVID that, you know, we were trying to do this virtually, which was successful. We had projects that were successful in it, um, but now we're back. We're, we're in person, we're practicing, and we're bringing everyone from the second grade student to the teacher who's been there for 30 years and giving them the chance to build, but to, to bring the team together and say, what do you see in your future school? And then the students then present out to the community. They present out to their group at large. I mean, it's it's a significantly large group. It depends. So I've seen it at everything from the 700 student elementary school to the 3,000 student high school, um, like the one I'm working at currently in Liberty Hill ISD. 
And it's, it's such a great way to bring collective engagement together because you're having students tell you their stories of, here's my path to school every day. No, I do not want the agricultural facility in the front of the school because it comes with smells, <laughs> because it comes with other things, right? <laughs> and it's those moments that make you really look back and you're like, yeah, I remember what it was like to be a high school student, but you know what? I'm not one anymore. So to hear their views, to hear their perspective is just valuable. And and then in turn, you get you start to hear, oh, I think I could look at architecture. I think I could look at interior design, at construction, at engineering. And we in turn help solve the diversity and equity gaps that we have in our profession. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That like firsthand perspective and remembering yes. what it was to be in that position for sure. Yes. What are some challenges that you face translating kind of their ideas and their perspective to actually making it work? Yeah, no, that is a completely valid question. So sometimes we'll see big bubbles and sometimes we'll see all different different elements. Um, what's been great about our process is that we are continually returning to the district. So we go through that first process, we come back with them for another day, and then we speak uh, two different schematic design exercises after that in interpreting okay, yes, I see this, this six pod, but what is it they're really looking for? So I, um, I'm one of our designers. I have seven years, eight years, it'll be eight years in May of experience in K through 12 design. We have designers who have been doing this longer than I've been living, which is incredible. And they are capable in bringing us together and saying, or fine tuning our skills as a junior design team or as a junior designer is what I consider myself um, in how we work together and how we collaborate and really what uh, was asked of the team in this in this board or in this presentation. And in that time and time again, we bring it back to them. We bring it back to their teachers through our series of schematic design and design development meetings, taking everything from the floor plans and the sections to the massing. Um, and then we use visualization tools like Enscape to walk them through because not everyone understands a plan. And that is a way to uh, aptly communicate what we're looking for and what the needs of the school actually is, what the needs of the community is. And um, in doing that, it's been a blast. We we often do pinups like the like stuff behind me um, and we redline just about everything. We're very much a, um, and we're building towards a more pinup culture in our office. So to see those remnants of my, my past um, education at the University of Arkansas, where we were pinup forward all the time, it's continual in the workplace to where you're not working in a silo at any time. You're working collaboratively, not only within your project team, but within your community as well. That's awesome. And such a win-win too. Like not only are kids able to give their perspective on and their say on what they want their school to look like, but also like you're saying, like giving them exposure to what design looks like and maybe something that they'd want to do in the future too. Exactly, exactly. And it's those soft, unintentional touch points Mm -hmm. that can make a big difference, a big impact in someone's life. Definitely. That's awesome. Yeah, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about um, how you were the recipient of the 2023 Austin AIA Emerging Professional Award. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, could you talk a little about what that means? Was it something that you applied for, nominated for? Yeah, so I was... Um, Oh, that process was an incredible one. I have been... A, I've served on our AIA Austin um, team for for the five years really since I've been in Austin, the first uh, committee I was a part of, I'm sorry, <laughs> was the Latinos in Architecture Committee, um, which was uh, 
kind of welcomed me with open arms when I got there. I, like I said, I grew up on the border. So in this half and half of half an American culture, half in Mexican culture. And my husband himself, he's from Mexico. He's from Morelia, Brian. And we um, attended Leah and really early on just got embraced in this warmth and in seeing programming that was representative of who we were, we dove all the way in, right? So I had the chance to curate exhibits and to bring voices together to build and and go after grants. And in doing that, it would just left, led to a legacy that I've been able to continually contribute to AI Austin through both uh, Latinos in Architecture, through our Women in Architecture chapter, through our Emerging Professionals chapter. Um, and in 2021, a, a part of the EP award is that you have to be licensed. You have to be a licensed architect in your first 10 years or your first 120 months of architecture. So, you know, if you departed from it, you can come back and it doesn't count against you. And in that, I um, in, 20, in October of 2021, I got my license after a very, a very lengthy, what felt like a really long um, journey. Achieve my licensure, joining the 1.7% of licensed Latinas out in the U.S., which is a mind-blowing number to me, right? That oh, yeah. we're not even 2%, but yet we represent this large demographic of the population. Yes. I. Um, so that is a big, that's a big part of who I am, is about wanting to increase the number of Latina architects around, around the U.S., right? And in that, um, in after that, I had started in, like I said, in 22, I served as co-chair for TXA. And then this past year, now I serve as the advisory on the advisory committee with the Young Architects Forum, serving our national body of about 37,000 members as a communications director. And in that, my executive director called me and she's like, Gabby, are you going to pursue this? <laughs> like, I think it went, okay, I think so. I think it'd be a good idea. And then I had other, um, I had joined the board as well that year, had other board members who had just... And this tells you about community, right? The the community, not only that we have in Austin, but I think as an architectural community is really incredible when we have those moments of just empowering others and, and encouraging others to go after good things. And uh, I had mentors and friends like Ricardo Magarrojas, who's in, um, who serves on the board, Sofia Razak, and then our um, current president, Christy Taylor, who are just very encouraging and said, you know, if all else, just go after it, just go after it and try it out and see what it does. So I put together a package and thankfully it ended up on a really good note. And um, it's, it's, it's been so impactful. I think seeing the other voices that were awarded Ray Linares and seeing Veronica Castro de Barrera, a number of our other um, awardees, it was just so inspiring to hear them <laughs> and then you feel, oh my gosh, I'm so fortunate to be in the room um, to listen to them. It, it put me in an entirely different mindset and I just am grateful for it. Thank you for asking. Yeah, no problem. It's awesome that we can like learn so much from each other too and just bring each other up. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, um, I was wondering if you could talk about maybe advice you have for students studying architecture now or like the benefits of like looking into something like AI, like, or, AIA, um, and just uh, some advice for us as students. Okay, buckle up because I've got all of it. No, <laughs> I um, I think as students, you're in a really, really, and and I everyone's going to tell you this, and everyone says it when you're in this, but you you're in a really special time of architecture right now, a special time not only for design but for society as a whole, and 
a lot of the work that will come, not only the work, but the social and emotional wellness that I think we have to deal with and deal with, I mean, I mean, we have to respond empathetically to is going to be, how are we taking care of our people in the buildings? How are we being people centric and then also environmentally forward? We have these two sides of the coin that we can talk about AI and we can talk about these other technologies that are coming, that are fantastic, that are incredible, that are tools at the end of the day. Um, invest in your education. Take the time to truly develop into what it is you're pursuing, but don't be afraid to shy from the profession itself. Um, that's part of what I get to do with the NCARB Experience Committee. So I serve on that national committee of about 20 members. We take a really focused look on what professional practice means and how that plugs into education. So take the time to look at the both-sided coins, stay people-centric, and stay environmentally forward. Such good advice. Yeah, and then, I mean, like, going into all of that, as we're striving to create more environmentally friendly designs, creating more empathetic designs, how, where do you get your... I guess, creative side from or your inspiration when you're when you're starting a design? Yes. So I I always take a look again at either our design launch, our design process. I um, and VLK, we're very much a, not every project is going to look the same. It's going to be a design for the district. So in that, each one has to be respective of what our district context is in. So I first look to the city, the region that we're placed in, what are the regional materials? What are the other facilities looking like? Not only that, but where are the places people are congregating to? Where are they spending the most time? Is it is it in a, in a religious facility or are they all meeting in a certain, is it the, is it the culture of a, a lunch spot? Um, what is the culture and the community of the city that we're serving? And in time, sometimes it's a small rural community, sometimes it's a large metro, it will really depend. But in doing that and spending a day or more than one day, right? I, every time I come out to a, a meeting out in Liberty Hill, they're, they're one of my clients. I think they're, fan, I love them. They're uh, the Panthers, they're fantastic out there working on their new high school. Every time we're there, our design team, our, our architectural team, we go to the major lunch spot, we go to Dahlia's, right? And there we're seeing district administrators, we're seeing police officers, we're seeing service members who have just been uh, a part of the community, who are integral to the community. Listening and watching and seeing their interactions reminds us those are the spaces that we need to create, not not necessarily in the physical, that it needs to look like this restaurant, right? But having the, the spaces where congregation can happen, where people can gather and, uh, being respectful of the local context. You know, there's a there's a limestone quarry right down the road. So how are we going to be respectful to that limestone? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's finding out those elements. Uh, in addition, I do have an incredible mentor in Jim Wallace who sends out Monday motivations every month and he keeps us on track. Uh, he's just sends them out to the entire firm and shares work from Weissman, Freddie, to, you know, all different kinds of firms and work that's being done across the U.S., actually globally, to keep us on our toes for what's been the, some of the top architecture around the world. Um, and it's just, it's fresh. It's inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, that is so awesome. That's such a good point. Like, really the best way to get a read on a site to understand what's really going on there is just immerse yourself in it and see what people are doing, how you can incorporate that. That's so cool. Exactly. <laughs> 
this might be a tough question, but are there is did you have one like favorite project that you've been able to work on? Or oh, you can't ask me that. They're all my favorite projects. <laughs> there has been one. Okay, I will. I'll say one of the best um, consultant experiences that I've had um, has been. I worked on a new middle school out in Hutto ISD. Go Hippos. I love the Hippos. That's where my mom works. Um, and <laughs> in that, uh, they had asked for their new middle school, right? That we went through the, the schematic design launch process with them mm-hmm. and the community came together on a consensus for a design, for the design for their new middle school. In it, we had this great opportunity to have academic wings and have a cafeteria and gymnasium. It was a very, very efficient plan. And in the center, we had this courtyard and we had science labs on the first floor that exited directly out into the courtyard. And we had in one of our user meetings where we bring in teachers and we bring in our district administration to go through what exactly is needed in the space. The science teachers said, you have this courtyard. I, what can we do with this courtyard? And in the middle of the session, the tone shifted from talking about casework and talking about plumbing to talking about what is going to happen in this incredible space that we had the chance to integrate. And we brought our landscape designer for the next one, right? Because we were saying, we, we go to them two days. It's like two full day charrettes. And um, in it, Olivia um, Pitt-Perez, who is just, I love her. Her and I serve on an ace board together. On the other side, this is our chance to work together here. Um, she and I started sketching and she's like, yeah, we can do this and we can have this here. And we were talking about um, having a grids on the ground so the students could understand the metric system. We're talking about having uh, measurable tools on the columns that are to the side. We're talking about planting beds and learning opportunities in different areas, music courtyards at the middle school level. So it covers sixth through eighth grade curriculum. We were comparing their their TEKS, which is the Texas Educational Knowledge and Skills, basically their, their required curriculum points like, like ours for, for NAB for the educational facilities and said, these are the points they need to hit. Okay, so how can we fit this into a learning opportunity in a courtyard? And Coleman and Associates was the firm that we partnered with for our landscape. And I, when I say they did an exceptional job, I stand by it. Um, we've got some really incredible renderings and visualizations of what all happens in that courtyard, but it wouldn't have happened without having a really exceptional client client, consultant, and architect relationship. And I have to also, um, I was the junior for that. My senior designer was Richard Hunt, um, who is, does, again, has also completed work all around the U.S. And he's been, he, he and I really had the opportunity to lead the discussion and say, what happens in this courtyard? How will it really, really be an activated space as opposed to just calling it an activated space and then waiting for something to happen afterward? It was very intentional. That's awesome. It's also making me think about, so we have an empty field in the middle of our campus. I'm actually looking at it right now. But last year, one of the projects we had to do was do something to it to allow community to come more together, to just get tighter bonds between students. And it's just making me think about that. Like we, we talked about incorporating more pathways, having place of congregation, and just like it ties into the whole, like what do students want on campus? Like how can yes. we make this a better place for them? And we, we had interviews, we talked to people about it. So just making me think about that. I love it. People-centric. We have to, we have to ask the question. If all else, we need to ask the question. And I'm so happy to hear you did that. Yes, it's incredible. Definitely. Uh, well, one of the questions that to kind of wrap things up that we ask everybody who comes on yeah. the podcast is if you could go back and tell one piece of advice to your student self, what would you tell yourself? Ooh, uh, 
girl, we're going to make it. It's going to be okay. <laughs> so um, let me, I'll give you a little antidote before I leave. When I was um, an antidote, when I uh, was in my second year, everyone, our, our structures teacher asked the question to everyone in the, in the, in the hall. They said, um, raise your hand if you're going to be a licensed architect in here. Everyone raised their hand. A majority of the people rose their hand except for me. And I just put my hand down. I, I was pretty burnt out in architecture school. I had a tough first year. And then he goes, well, Gabby, why didn't you raise your hand? I said, I'm going to go to law school. But <laughs> I don't think architecture is it for me. It's like genuinely, I, 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 I've had so much trouble. I've had so much problem. <laughs> like, oh. I just don't know if it's it for me, right? And in that, I had a professor who kind of like brought me aside afterward. It, it's, it's the importance of professors. I'll tell you that. And we're like, look, I see you're discouraged. Let's talk through it. Let's figure out how to work through this together so we can help you do what you need to do. I had the chance to kind of get back on track. I got involved with an internship that next year. Um, uh, uh, you know, fast forward to now, that was my second year. However many years later, <laughs> I graduated in 18 with my BARC. Um, I was a, in 2021, I was the first person in my graduating class to become licensed. And to this day, I'm one of three. So it um, it was kind of my gut check to say, you know, I'm really glad I didn't listen to my second year self because that would have been a completely different path that I think I would have missed out on making an impact. And ever since I've just been really service forward because I know at the end of the day, that's where my strength is. That's that's who I am at my core. As long as I'm serving or helping others, I'm on track and have been able to look at everything I do, not only volunteering, but also service to our school districts in that lens. This is so great and so inspirational. Like so many people need to hear this, especially <laughs> after the first year. Like I completely relate with that. I was very burnt out too. And I'm just like, I don't know if this is for me. And like just having that goal that you stick with and know that if you push through, you just have that no matter what. Like that's, that's so great. I, I love get, that. Get your license, Gabriella. That's all I can tell you. Get your <laughs> license. Get after it. I'm here to support you if you ever need it. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been great. You're so passionate and I've really enjoyed this conversation. Likewise. Likewise. Yeah. And for everybody watching, thanks so much for tuning in and don't forget to like, comment and share as the conversation continues from a student's perspective. We hope you like this discussion with the design industry from a student's perspective. Please like, share and comment and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations to come.